tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me, the thieves, the robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Welcome next to Church Family Online to another week in our series we've titled I Am. In this fairly lengthy series, we've been examining the I Am statements of Jesus. If you didn't get to view or listen to the first week, we really examined why was this statement I Am so powerful. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. It's simply titled, Two Dangerous Words. Now this week we're looking at the instance where Jesus stated, as you viewed or listened to on the opening clip, he stated that he is the gate. I am the gate. Today we're going to look at that passage and just kind of chunk it up a little bit into three sections and investigate what it meant in that day and what it means for us today. What do we do with this statement that Jesus made that I am the gate? And I think today when we dig into it, it's going to be very uh, revealing into your life, maybe challenge you in some areas and hopefully help you walk away being able to feel like you can take that next step with Jesus. So let's dig in. And we'll begin by reading just five verses and kind of unpack that section. So Jesus said, truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away because they don't know the voice of the strangers. So I read that. It just made me wonder. Maybe you've wondered this yourself if you've read this passage before. Why didn't the robbers and the sheep try to go through the gate? Like, these are sheep we're talking about, right? But as Jesus follows up that statement that they go in a different way, he says the sheep know their shepherd's voice. Anybody else who tries to go through the gate, the sheep will automatically reveal that indeed they are not for them. They make a, a statement. They run. They, they make a noise. That everybody around knows that these people who are trying to get in are not their owners. And so the robbers tried to go in a different way. The sheep don't lie. 
His sheep do not lie. They can't. They don't have enough ability to know how. And so the moment that thief enters, they're going to show. But when the shepherd comes in, on the contrary, the beloved sheep come running. They come running because they know his voice. And the one thing I want to pick out of that little tiny section for us today is that a voice has so much power. When you hear a person's voice, the way you respond reveals so much of what that person is to you. When that boss comes walking in that has had Maybe it's some confrontation with you in the past. Start speaking. You cringe. You tense up. But when that, that maybe teacher that has taken the time to walk you through some difficulties, walks through the door and speaks your name, you immediately have a soft heart and an openness. A voice reveals so much. Very it reveals a, a threat or it reveals a comfort, a trust. Well, Jesus' listeners weren't getting it. They were confused. And so Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So in verse 7 through 9, we read, Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, if you're anything like me, up until this point, I was thinking that Jesus was saying that he is the shepherd, right? Like everything points to Jesus being the shepherd. And in fact, in the next verse after Verse 10, which we will read next week, Jesus does say he is the shepherd, but he has a point to make with this whole gate situation. He has a point to make. And that is, when we want to get to heaven, there is only one way to get in. Right? There is only one way. And when the sheep go in, when that shepherd comes, they can only go through the gate. There's not another way in and out. There's danger around. But when the shepherd comes, he protects. He will not only give them the way in and out, but he will protect them along the way. There's, there's danger outside. The shepherd needs to be there. And that's what we'll talk about next week. But the only way to protection is through the gate. Jesus is saying there's only one entry point into a home. A home where he says there is green pastures. Where there's abundance. Right? Listen to what he says in verse 10. A thief comes 
only to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's what the robber comes to do. He tries to find a different way to get in so that the sheep don't reveal that he's coming to destroy or to steal them. So they go a different way. But the gate where the shepherd is, that is the place where we find green pastures and where Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The thief cares about one thing, destruction. Cares about destruction. See, around there is wolves trying to get in. The gate keeps it out. It protects them. And when it gets opened and the shepherd is there to care for his sheep, he opens to abundant life where there's green pastures. See, God isn't here to kick you out. He's here to welcome you in. Yes, the, 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 the only way to the abundant life is through the gate. The only way to green pastures, to life and life in abundance, is through that gate. But God wants you to go through that way. He's given you every opportunity to walk through that gate. So, he wants to give you open fields. He wants to give you access to the Father now. He is the way. He is the gate, right? He is the way. He is the truth. We can know God and know Him intimately, personally now. He is the life. He wants to give you life not only for all of eternity. He wants to give you Abundant life now. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus says in the later parts of John. When you get to 14 and 15, he's saying to his people, I have to go because I want to give you abundant life and I want to give all generations abundant life through the Holy Spirit who will come and he will be my ambassador. He will be my empower. He will live in you. Not just with you, he will live in you so you can have life and life to the fullest in green pastures where things are abundant. So what does that look like? What does it look like to live in abundance, to live in green pastures, to live in a life with fullness? What does that look like? Well, before we begin by examining what it looks like, what doesn't it look like? Sometimes it's really good to get a good picture of something by establishing what it isn't. So it's not necessarily a long life. It's not living till you're 102 in Hawaii with beautiful (laughs) ocean splashing and 75 degrees all the time. Right? It's not, it's not living a comfortable life, a long life where you have nice cars, a big house, you have a new job, you have good grades, you have better, you fill in the blank. I love how Spurgeon contrasts this life and life in abundance. He says life is a matter of degrees. Some have life, but it flickers. 
like a dying candle. And it's indistinct as a fire in the smoking flax. Get that picture. Now, not everybody looks at a candle all the time, but try to picture that in your mind. It's a candle. That's getting overwhelmed by the flax around it that's melting. And it's just barely smoldering. And the smoke around it is covering it. And you can't tell if it's actually still on fire or not. That's the life many people live. It's alive, but barely. On the contrast, it says others are full of life and are a bright and vehement. Have you known somebody to be bright and vehement for Jesus? Those are, those are pretty strong words. I can think of a person. I worked with her way back when I was first a, a full-time employee at Coburn's Grocery Store in Foley, Minnesota. And this lady was probably 55-ish. And she just loved Jesus. She was just so full of life. I have no idea where she's at now or if she's even still around. I have no clue, but I'll never forget her. I know her name. I can see her in my mind. Because she just had so much joy. Just sparkle. She didn't have a whole lot in life. She was just a cashier. She had life. She had joy. She had what, what we would call fruit of the Spirit. In the church world, to the rest of the world, they know it as love. They know it as joy. They know it as peace. They know it as patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what she had. Simple life with not a whole lot. Just a beater car living in an apartment working as a cashier, but she had so much joy. She had peace. She was patient. She was kind. She was gentle. She had a lot of self-control. Fascinating. It's not what you have in worldly things. It's what you have inside. That is the abundant life. That's what it looks like. It's not having all the cool trinkets. How many Christians have all the things? Have a nice vacation spot, give a ton of money away, do all the good things, but they are just miserable because they they, ha- they don't have the time to just be with Jesus, be in his presence. You see, when you spend time in the presence of Jesus, you attain those fruits. You find joy, you find peace because you've spent time with him. Not running, trying to do all the things for Jesus, but just be with Jesus. So hard to get into our minds, isn't it? Like, like that's just not something that comes naturally. So how do we get there? What do we need to do? Jesus gives us, I think, a really good place to start. 
And I want to be very practical for you today. How do you get this abundant life? How do you find green pastures? How do you get life and life in the fullest? How do you get it? How did Jesus do it? He says. He said. He says it very clear. And if we can start and accomplish what he says in Matthew six thirty one through thirty three, I think we could be well on our way to an abundant life. But it's challenging. So let's read. So don't worry about these things. Saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? <laughs> so basic, right? All things you need. If you live in northern Minnesota like myself, um, you need clothes to wear. You need to have a place to stay that's warm or you won't make it very long in the winter. And everybody, no matter where you live, needs food, needs water. Jesus says, don't worry. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Ooh, that's hits hard. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs, right? He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at all times. He knows what you need. He knows if you need that new car or not. He knows if you need food. He knows if you need an upgrade to your kitchen or whatever. He knows. And it's not that he doesn't want you to have a new car. It's not that he doesn't want you to make updates to your house. Seem semi-frivolous, right? That's not the intent here. He knows that. But he's saying, don't worry. But instead, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So what is it? Don't worry. Don't worry. He begins with it right away. Don't worry. I like to think of it another way, maybe. Don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on it. That maybe hit home a little bit more because so often I don't, I don't really worry about my food. I don't. You know, I, I I don't worry about my house needing an update or whatever. You know, I mean, if, if if my sewer goes out, yeah, I'm worried. If my water doesn't run and I have frozen pipes, I worry. If I'm not able to provide for my family, I I, I could worry then. But so often in my life, I don't really worry too much. But dwell on that's different. I can dwell on a lot of earthly things. And so when I dwell on, when I focus on, it proves to God that I'm trying to solve the problem. That I'm not trusting God to take care of my needs. That, that he, he's not capable. He doesn't see it. He doesn't care about it. He's not worried about it. And fact of the matter is, is God isn't worried about it because he can go like that. He owns, as the old statement says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can provide. 
So he's not worried because he can give it to you and give it to you immediately. So when we worry, we prove that we're not trusting that he can provide for us. So that's the first thing. But then he says we're to seek his kingdom and live it out. And live it out. That's what gets me. Because A, as we established, the foundation is we're not to worry about things of this world, but we are to live as he ends. Seems kind of contradictory, right? And so, so many people really focus on to not worry and to trust God and to go with just living life flippantly, right? That That is kind of the ultra-religious people that kind of gone off the deep end and just like, I'm just going to trust God for everything. He's just going to provide. And it doesn't say that necessarily totally. He does say, live it out. Seek his kingdom and live it out. Paul would say, listen to this passage, right? And 1 Thessalonians 4.11, that we are to work with our hands in order to provide, that we're to live a quiet life and work with our hands and be diligent and provide for ourselves. So on the one hand, we need to trust God that he'll provide, but then we do work. We do show up to our job. We do put in the time that is required from our bosses to do what they've asked. We are to pay our bills. That is one way that God provides. He knows our needs and provides. Well, he provides us with a job to do the work, right? Like, we're not to live off of some genie in a bottle that takes care of our needs, right? We, Jesus isn't going to just drop off some food in his drone call it heavenly uber eats or whatever like he that i mean can he do that yeah maybe he won't use a drone but the point is is like god can provide but he also wants us to put our efforts forward we were created originally in the garden to take care of his garden right we're to tend to his plants care for the animals So it hasn't changed. We're to care for our surroundings. Take care of ourselves. So we are to work. We are to work. And then he says, we are to work for the kingdom of God. Now, does this mean that if you're not working for a church or some nonprofit parachurch organization that you're being disobedient and that we need to all just give up our secular jobs and go into the ministry? I used to think that. And I think a lot of people sometimes get caught up with that too. And, and they're thinking that, you know what, I, I need to go and build his kingdom which means I need to be a part of some Christian thing. And then I work. I provide for my needs, and God will take care of the rest. I just trust him, and I have that nice, fine balance, and then we go forward. Uh, 
let me say this as clear as I can. Wherever you are, whether it's at school, a factory, a restaurant, a you name it, right? Wherever you are, whether you're at home, some foreign country, the kingdom of God is there. So wherever God has called you right now, wherever you find yourself, you are to build the kingdom of God there. That is your kingdom building opportunity. So we are to stop worrying, stop dwelling on how to provide for our family. God has given us tools. So pick up the phone. If you don't have a job, go get a job. Start working with your hands. Pay your bills. And God will take care of the rest of your needs. Don't worry. Do your part and see God show up. And when he speaks to you, maybe to go to a different job and maybe take a pay cut, less hours, less stress, because you need to spend more time with him, you're obedient to it. Right? You go where you feel God has called you. You work. You take care of what you can. God will take care of the rest and build the kingdom where you are. Build the kingdom where you are. Paul says it in his epistles that we are God's ambassadors. We represent Jesus to the world around us. So go be an ambassador. Go represent Jesus to your place that he has put you. So how do we live the abundant life? That the gate Jesus himself has opened us up to? Very simple. Very, very simple. Trust Jesus to provide. View what you are doing as the kingdom. Build his kingdom. Be a representative for Jesus, an ambassador, and work. Diligently be an ambassador. Shine the light of Jesus. Show the world what it means to have love, to have joy, to have patience, to have peace, to have kindness, to have self-control. Show them. And then when the opportunity arises, tell them why it is that you are the way you are. Go be. Go be Christ's ambassador. Then you will experience the abundant life that the gate Jesus has promised you to have. Father, I pray for every person listening today or watching online. I ask, Father, that you would help them through the power of the Holy Spirit, to trust you, to not worry about these things around them, that they go and they do the work, whatever you have given them to do, that they will work diligently as your ambassador and build your kingdom through the power of your Holy Spirit that you've given them. God, give them the strength, give them the joy, give them the hope, give them the determination and the wherewithal to not give up. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us next week. And tune in next week again when we take a look at Jesus, our shepherd. See you then.